so much. I'm so honored that each and every one of you came today. What a beautiful room full of women. Look around you. Look how lovely everyone is today. We are blessed today, aren't we, to come to honor Jesus. And this thrills me that we get to have such a special honored guest today. And I get the privilege of introducing her. And you know, as I was praying about it and how to introduce Lindsay to you, and I haven't read this scripture in, I would say, a year or so, which I'm ashamed to say, but Proverbs 31 came to mind in describing my dear friend. And I want to read it to you. I want to take the time and read it to you, and I want to make some comments about it. A capable, intelligent, and virtuous woman. Who is he who can find her? She is far more precious than jewels, and her value is far above rubies or pearls. The heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and relies on her and believes in her securely so that he has no lack of honest gain or need of dishonest spoil. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there is life within her. She seeks out wool and flax and works with willing hands to develop it. She is like the merchant ships loaded with foodstuffs. She brings her household's food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and gets spiritual food for her household and assigns her maids their tasks. She considers a new field before she buys or accepts it, expanding prudently and not counting or courting neglect of her present duties by assuming other duties with her savings of time and strength. She plants fruitful vines in her vineyard. She girds herself with strength, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness for her God-given task and makes her arms strong and firm. Lindsay let me feel her arms a few weeks ago, and they are muscles, let me tell you. And so are her calves. <laughs> she tastes and sees that her gain from work with and for God is good. Her lamp goes not out, but it burns on continually, through the night of trouble, privation, or sorrow, warning away fear, doubt, or distrust. She lays her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She opens her hand to the poor, yes, she reaches out her filled hands to the needy. She fears not the snow for her family, for all of her household are doubly clothed in scarlet. She makes for herself coverlets, cushions, rugs of tapestry. This young lady... She's one of the greatest seamstresses I've ever known. You should see the pillows that she's made. You should see the christening gowns that she made for her daughters. Her daughters are now 30, 27, 28, 30, 32, something like that. You should see the things, the garments, the, all of it. She's creative. I was going to get into that later, but let me finish reading this. Her husband is known in the city's gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen garments and leads others to buy them. She delivers to the merchants girdles or sashes that free one for service. Today you're going to free us with the word of God, Lindsay, so we can be of service to our Lord and Savior. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and the position is strong and secure. She rejoices over the future, the latter day, or time to come, knowing that she and her family are in readiness for it. She opens her mouth in skillful and godly wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness, giving counsel and instruction. She looks well to how things go in her household, and the bread of idleness, gossip, discontent, self-pity, she will not eat. Her children rise up and call her blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied. And her husband boasts of her and praises, saying, Many daughters have done virtuously, virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Isn't that beautiful? Has it been a long time since you read those verses? It had for me. And today it gives me the greatest honor and the greatest pleasure because this lady is the epitome to me of the Proverbs 31 woman in every area and relation. 
She is a true and dear friend. If you ever need anyone to stand on your side and not give in and turn coward and faint in the day of adversity, this is the one that you want to call on for prayer because she will stand with you through thick and thin. And she means the world to me. And it is my greatest honor to introduce to you and have come share the word with us today, my friend, Lindsay Roberts. No? Yes. How in the world, oh, thank you, sweetie, can you preach after that? Let's all just cry. <laughs> when you have been through the gates of hell itself, and, you know, people use hell as a cuss word, and, a, oh, you can't say that. The Bible calls it the place where you feel separated from God, the dark abode, the place where Satan has his way. And when you've been in those situations and you find a true friend, Carol and Sabelle. <laughs> there, is, there is absolutely no words to describe it. To me, it's a supernatural connection that God himself gave you a gift. And if you have a gift like that, you honor that gift. And I honor my friend Carolyn today. Look around the room. This is the fruit of your labor, my dear. We were teasing each other because um, my legs are a little bit like rocks when it comes to... <laughs> I was a tennis player when I was a kid, and, and a competitive tennis player. And I must tell you, I don't do any workout in the gym. I simply pick up after my husband. <laughs> and I have more muscle than I have ever had in my young days. That is my workout. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, and before him, it was his father, all my, my stars. Oral and Richard Roberts were truly a pair. And, and I tell you what, it was an honor and a chore to love both of <laughs> No, I'm not. It's true. No. When, you, when you deal with people who know that the world can be saved or lost as a result of some of the things that they contribute, that's a, that's a tough responsibility in both Oral and Richard Oral took and Richard takes that responsibility very seriously, and I thank God for that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the Savelle family. I thank you that everything that we say and do here today will glorify you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. That you want us saved and healed and whole from every area of our life, from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. And I thank you, Father God, for divine intervention. Lord, if anything I'm trying to say is wrong, zip it up. If anything you would like to say is what you want done in this room, have your way, free reign. Holy Spirit, we open this place to you, and devil, we shut every door to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Today, I want to talk about something Jerry, Pastor Dr. Jerry Savelle, Dr. Jerry and I share the same birthday. We were both born just minutes before Christmas. So needless to say, this room is so very festive, and I love it so very much, and it's so very exciting. I think he was, we were both born after the 11 o'clock mark, and I think he was after the 11.30 mark, and I was real close to the Christmas day mark. So we are both December 24th babies, and my father-in-law and Evelyn got married on Christmas Day. So this is a lovely, lovely time to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and the birth of Jesus and all that fun stuff. And I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to do it, especially today. I was, I was communicating. Thank God for text messages. Mercy sakes alive. So I was, I have this thing that if I, if I, if I have something on my mind, I just don't sleep it through. I'll get up and I'll start writing and I'll start chicken scratching. Well, this was in the middle of the night last night. I was up chicken scratching. Four o'clock in the morning. I think it was about 4.59, actually, 
we're staying with the Savelles, and Richard got up and did what he always does. He prays. It doesn't matter whose house he's in. It doesn't matter what country he's been in. It doesn't matter what the time zone is. Before 5 o'clock, you will find that man either in a chair or physically on his face on the floor praying. And so he has laid a foundation of prayer for our family. He has also laid a foundation of how to get up in the middle of the night and not go back to sleep. So having said that, um, I was looking on, on Terry's Instagram, which I sent to my, I, I would take a picture of it and send it to my youngest daughter, Chloe. She said, Mom, where'd you get that? Mom, where'd you get that? So now she is following Terry. So now she'll text me, did you read I'm the one that sent it to you. Don't act like this was your idea. So we saw the picture um, on your Instagram of Kenneth with this, Dr. Kenneth Copeland, like this, you know, and, and, and it looks like he's trying to save the world. But the truth was he was pointing to how big he had expanded his vision board from you. So two days ago, I was sound asleep. And it felt so good to say those words until... My daughter gets up in the middle of the night. Oh, by the way, I just got a text because I sent the pictures for, to Jordan, and her pick for winning is the carolers. I sent her pictures of the table. She said, oh, the carolers. <laughs> Sorry, Carolyn's out of the running, but we would have picked her table. So I had to have help. So I get a text from my daughter, Chloe, in the middle of the night. Are you up? No. Hi, baby. So she couldn't sleep, so she decided that I needed to not sleep. So she began to talk to me in the middle of the night. Let me see if I can find it, because I have to read it exact. So I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm watching the television. She said, I finally fell asleep, but now I'm up. So she began to talk at 1.30. This went on till after 4 in the morning. And she said about a person she has a desire to meet. And I said, okay. I said, what do you want to do? Let's pray about it. She said, no. I said, she said, find me a picture. And she told me of the person. I said, okay. So I sent her a snapshot. And I, I said, what are you doing with it? She said, I'm putting it on my vision board. Her vision board is outside. She has a little outdoor porch that's screened in. So 4 o'clock in the morning, she's getting up and putting the picture. Because she was going to print it on her printer. And take the vision board and take it outside with the picture to put it at 4 o'clock in the morning on her vision board. I said, you know, maybe you should consider moving your vision board inside the house. And so she said, no, I just have to put this up on my vision board. Now I need you to pray and I need you to believe with me. And I said, okay, I can believe with you. And so we were talking about it and she said this. Um, she said, I'm stretching out my faith. I think it'd be amazing to meet this person. And then she said, I, I want to wear my... She has a jacket her daddy bought her. And every time she wears this jacket, weird things of people meeting her and recognizing uh, like the gift of God in her. So she said, I'll even wear my jacket. And she said... <laughs> She said, that jacket has been worn in some mighty fine places. And she said, I'm going out to put it on my vision board. <laughs> then she calls me yesterday and said, you know, Mom, she's coming here for Christmas. She lives in another state. And she said, Mom, what we can do is we can, we can put it together on your vision board. And so then we can pray about it together. And you know what I said to her, Terry? Um, I don't have a vision board. I mean, I just thought I'd toss that out because my birthday is the same as your dad's. And I'm just saying, just in case, make the vision plain. We got to make our vision plain. So I am sitting in, in Carolyn's car. She is driving. Dr. Jerry Savelle is in the front seat. They are dropping us off where we're going to go back inside. And my husband asked Jerry to start praying. And Jerry starts praying. And Jerry started talking to me about how to get healed. So if you have pen and paper, you want to write it down. If you want to text it to yourself or if you just want to listen. Five steps to healing. As per Dr. Jerry Savelle, who may be the sweetest man married to the sweetest woman that ever walked on planet Earth. So when I tell you this, I guarantee you he said these words. Not that you'll believe it, but he did. Five steps to healing. Retaliation. Sounds just like him, doesn't it? Sure. Repayment, retribution, resolve, and revenge. Five steps to healing. Now, if any of you have ever been hurt, especially by somebody... This is getting good, isn't it? <laughs> Retaliation, repayment, retribution, resolve, and revenge. Retaliation means to punish. Counterattack after being attacked. Repayment means payback. Mm -hmm. 
making it personal. Recompense, recompensate, and punishment. Retribution means repayment. Return one act for another. Punish the, the inflicted for a wrong act. Resolve means to settle once and for all. How would you like to settle the score once and for all? All right. It means to turn, to change, to loosen, to straighten out, to even the score. And revenge means satisfaction. The only difference is Dr. Jerry Savelle wasn't talking about the person. He was talking about Jesus and how Jesus inflicts harm on the devil, not the person. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, 10 through 14. Matthew 14. I do not know why, after all the times I've read this and after how many years I spent with my father-in-law, Oral Roberts, I do not know why I ever missed it this way, but I missed it, and I missed it big. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 10. Now, how would you like to learn how to fight where you do not lose and you come up with retaliation, recompense, restitution, restoration, and revenge on the enemy, and the enemy is the devil? And if you have revenge on the enemy, the devil, then all things are going to come alive in God. I remember one time I went through the worst horrifying time I could ever remember. And it was bad enough when someone picks on you and then they pick on your husband. But when you start on my children, I was told at 18 I'd never have children. I had so much disease going on. I had seven surgeries by the time I was in my mid to late 20s. I've had two miscarriages, a dead child. Um, and I can go on and on. In my 20s, I was in surgery for a hysterectomy, and I had not yet had my babies. And I can tell you, I went through the devil himself to believe God, expect a miracle. And John Osteen, Joel's daddy, that's how old we all are, Joel's daddy sent me a little book called The ABCs of Faith. And the ABCs of Faith in it, he talked about speaking to your mountain. And as I was going in for surgery, the doctor said to me, let me put it to you this way. I want to save your life. I thought, okay, that's a good start. And then he said, it's like this tumor that you have is a mountain eating up all the other molehills. And something came alive in me. I had the ABCs of faith. It wasn't that big. I bet you that book wasn't a dollar. And, and, and the ABCs of faith said, speak to your mountain. And I began to shout and rejoice. He said, no, 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 you didn't hear me. I said, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> And I said, my God said I could speak to my mountain, command it to be cast into the sea. Do not doubt in my heart, but believe the things I say shall come to pass. I will have what I say. So I believed it. I received it. I went into surgery. When I came out of surgery, you know, when you're under anesthesia, you don't necessarily listen carefully. And I don't need an anesthesia to not necessarily listen carefully. And the nurse said to me, it's all gone. Well, I thought she meant I had a hysterectomy. And I said, what do you mean? I started crying. She said, no. She said, the tumor's gone. You're totally healed. You can go home. So they put me in recovery, and then they let me, you know, they take you back to your room. And it was late. I don't know if it was that night or the next night. And all of a sudden, they said, pack your bags. You're going home. I said, I didn't call the doctor. I, I didn't know I was supposed to be discharged. I didn't even call my husband. They said, we did. It's time for you to leave. <laughs> I think I was excited, and I was up and down, walking up and down the aisles, preaching, shouting, and rejoicing that God had miraculously saved me. Three daughters later, Jordan, Olivia, and Chloe. You see, I believe that there is recompense and restitution and retaliation, and I believe the way we do it is we recognize our power and we recognize our adversary, who is the thief, the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So I was having this battle when somebody came against one of my daughters, and I had decided that it was personal. Amen. Unfortunately, my husband didn't agree with me. He was being spiritual. <laughs> when there is a difference between mama and her claws coming out and your husband being spiritual, pick your husband every time. But I didn't. And I was angry. I was upset. I was mad. I really wanted him to act like me. And when he didn't, I started to pray. I was not praying for him. I was really more like praying against him. But the Lord said, take out a sheet of paper and make a column. So I took out a sheet of paper and made a column. And he said, pick the person and then write down what they did to you. 
Well, my list was getting so long, I thought, I better get another notebook. So I was writing all of what the person was, and next to it, what they did to me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. God's going to take care of this. So the Lord said to me, do you see what their act was? I said, yes. He said, it was despicable. That was the word he used. And I said, okay. And he said, it was despicable. Now call it despicable. He said, you don't have to agree with the act. You don't have to do anything that has to do with the act. He said, it was despicable. We'll call it what it was. I said, okay, despicable. He said, now tear that sheet off. Tore it off. And he said, now you see all those people? I said, yeah. He said, cut their heads off. I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're getting good now, right? So I looked at the list, and he said, I want you to spiritually lift their head off their body and see who your enemy is. Put the devil's head on their body. He said, I didn't ever ask you to forgive the devil. He said, the devil is your enemy. The person must receive your forgiveness. And I thought, you know, this, this was going great right up till then. And all of a sudden, I had a revelation. If I would face the act as the act and just, okay, deal with it, then I would go ahead and face the person as forgiveness. And then one third step, realize the enemy was the devil. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So I had to remove the flesh and blood person out of the scenario there and turn it into powers, principalities, and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And I had to learn how to fight. And I knew how to fight. You fight the good fight of your faith. That was not what I wanted to do. That's not how your humanness is. And God was telling me, take out your humanness and get into my divineness because if you want to get healed, you have to forgive. If you want to forgive, then I can step you into all things that I have for your life. But if you do not forgive, let's not even go to the rest of the sentence. And so I thought, okay. And so the Lord asked me flat out, can you forgive? And I said flat out, no. He said, look at the list. Is there anyone on there that you can forgive? And I said, no. I mean, why lie? It's God, right? <laughs> so I looked at it, and I said, you're going to have to help me because I'm being honest. And he said, but do you think I could forgive them? I said, yeah, of course. He said, then can you do all things through Christ to give you strength? He said, the choice is not just the forgiveness. The choice is to allow me to work through you, and I can forgive them through you, and you just hang on for the ride. And I said, I can do that. And my life began to change at that moment. And as I began to recognize, I do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, I began to get a revelation that I have got to deal with things, and I have got to change, and I have got to look at it from heaven's perspective, and I've got to see how God operates. So I'm sitting there in this uh, uh, car with Carolyn and Jerry, and Jerry pulls out Matthew, and if you go again, like I said, to Matthew 14, and look at the 10th verse. So Matthew 14, I borrowed my husband's Bible. Everybody, please, this is his Oral Roberts Bible. We have to make absolute certain he gets this back. I have a tendency to lose important things. So we have to all say, Lindsay, take the Bible back to Richard. But it has something really good in here, so I wanted to read it to you. So if we look at chapter 14 in the 10th verse, and it says this. When Jesus was sitting, he sent... Uh, let me back up the story and just give it paraphrase. You remember the story of John the Baptist. All right, so here is Elizabeth and Mary. They're cousins, they're friends. But more than that, they have an understanding of who each other is. When G Mary is going to tell Elizabeth about Jesus and the visitation and all the things that are happening to her, she goes to her cousin, and it said the baby leaped within her womb. And it says Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist, who is the what? Forerunner to the healing ministry. So he is the forerunner to Jesus, the forerunner of what's to come. He is the one about to come in and kind of, in a sense, pave the way for Jesus. And so I think that spiritually speaking, this is my way of thinking on this, spiritually speaking, when the two women got together and discussed something spiritual, that spiritual creation inside of Elizabeth began to leap. Maybe the baby didn't exactly know what was going on, but the spirit within certainly knew, 
That's the one we're talking about. So all throughout Mary and Elizabeth's time, they had this oneness, this fellowship, this camaraderie, camaraderie, this Carolyn and Lindsay thing, the Richard and Jerry thing. They had an understanding of each other and who each other was and who they were in the flesh, who they were in the spirit, and they had a knowing of that. So now we've got John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is about to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River, and, and John is saying, come on. If anybody realized how foolish this is, you're the one that should be baptizing me. This, this is fulfilling scripture, but really it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And they had this knowing of who each other was. And now all of a sudden, if we look in, in, in Matthew 14, not, not everybody understood Jesus. Not everybody understood oral. Not everybody understood Richard. You know, I was watching the Thanksgiving parade, and I remember one time in the newspaper, it was carried all over the place, when, when oral saw Jesus um, behind a building he tried to estimate how big the building was so estimate how big jesus was saying this is easy for me to handle you need to see me bigger you need to see me well able to handle this problem and instead of that they they he tried to estimate what he saw based on the height of the building so they picked up in the paper that thanksgiving was coming and and by the estimation of what what for oral to see jesus behind this building it had to be about 900 feet and so all the newspapers carried why don't you bring your nine nine foot Jesus to the Macy's Day Parade and we'll all have a celebration. And I mean, these were the types of things that Oral Roberts dealt with on a daily basis. So when you get to somebody who gets you and understands you and has fellowship with you and has your back, as they say, this is the, the type of thing that Jesus had with John the Baptist. Set the stage. Now John the Baptist is in a situation where King Herod is... All I can say is they are having quite a celebration. And in the middle of their chemical infliction, who knows what they were smoking, drinking, or doing. But in the middle of this this huge party when everybody was induced and crazier than a tune, one of the suggestions was, oh, what can I do for you? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. In almost a dare, in almost a bet, But because the king had a decree and he had to honor his word, even though he said he didn't want to do it, he cut off John the Baptist's head, puts it on a platter, and when the disciples heard about it, the men that heard about it, they buried him and they brought the news to Jesus. Pick it up right here. So it says he sent and beheaded John in prison and his head was brought in on a charger and given to the damsel and she brought it to her, her mother. It was a game. It was a gag. And John the Baptist, Jesus' beloved friend, was dead. And the disciples came, took up the body, buried it, and went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ships into a desert. So it took him ships to get, or a ship to get into the desert place. He was, I'm going to use the word in his flesh. He was emotional. He was not being, thus saith the Lord, he was departing when he heard it and he wanted to get on a ship and go away how many of us would ever want to get on a ship and just let that sucker sail away and not care where it's going but put me on the ship and don't tell me till I get there and and many of us want to retreat and many of us want to crawl into a hole and many of us know exactly what I'm talking about and so did Jesus and so to me this was the flesh side of Jesus and, his, and when his disciples told him and he heard of it he departed by ship to a desert to a desert place apart He wanted to get away. Here we go. And when the people heard of it, they followed him on foot out of the cities. There will always be that group. There will always be inquiring minds want to know and put it on the newspaper. I have to tell you, this was crazy. Right after my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord, one tabloid carried that he committed suicide. I'm like, seriously, what did he do? I was there. I mean, seriously? I mean, what did he do? It was so ludicrous. I saw my daughter in a drugstore, and we happened to be in in New York at the time, and and not at the time, we had already had his service, and then we went to New York, and I saw my daughter grab this tabloid and stuff it in the back of it and kind of doing this. I said, what are you doing? She said, I don't want Chloe to see this. I don't know how she'll respond. Um, Oral used to call Chloe Oral Roberts in a dress. Now that is enough said. (laughs) So they were sheltering us 
from the tabloid. How ridiculous, how ridiculous. Somebody is always wanting to stick some kind of a um, pin in your balloon to rain on your parade. We don't know if these people were following Jesus to mock him, to laugh that his best friend had been killed, or just to see how you're going to react on this one. I remember when my son died in my arms, um, and he was a day and a half old, and it was devastating. And the nurse came in to me, and we had already had the news. We had already dealt with it, and I was packing my suitcase to go home and from the hospital. And this nurse walked in and said, I just wanted to see how you'd act. I'm thinking, what is sharp enough and small enough? <laughs> I'm human. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, now that your son died, what do you think of Jesus? I said, sit down. And we sat on that hospital bed, and I led that woman to Jesus. And believe me, that was not my first thought. So I can only imagine how Jesus must have felt. And he said, i got to get away from here. And they followed him. I don't know if they wanted healing. I don't know if they wanted to mock him. I don't know if they just wanted to be a spectator in a spectator sport of stupid. I have no idea. But they wanted to see what was going on. So here is Jesus in maybe one of the most emotional states in the Bible. And he says this. When Jesus heard of it, he departed. He went on, they followed him in the city. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. And he did not behave like Lindsay. <laughs> it says he was moved with compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. You see, the greatest way, thank you, Dr. Jerry Savelle, the greatest way for you to get healed is to combat the devil by doing what you're called to do. In your worst possible moment, you combat the devil by being who you are in Christ. Jesus healed the sick. In fact, if you go on and read just a little bit more in those passages, it's very intriguing because three things happened. First of all, he walked on water. He was showing, you are not going to get the best of me. I am in my spiritual form and as he walked on water, remember the account where he made Peter come walk with him? He was still saying, not only can I walk on water, but I can take you with me. <laughs> you are not going to get the best of me. The second thing he did was he fed 5,000. In the feeding of 5,000, when you look at that, I was, I was reading that one time. It's like one of my favorite things to study in the Bible. And it says the feeding of 5,000, when you compare it to five loaves, two fishes, and you multiply it to the 5,000, plus the woman and the children. I said, Lord, how do you explain this? This is such a miracle. He said, no, it's not a miracle. It's an astronomical miracle. Well, I'm from Cocoa Beach, Florida, where the Space Center is, so the word astronomical intrigued me, and so I started to look it up. And you know how you and I can measure like in an inch or in a foot? This was so astronomical that it had to be measured by terms of space, like as in outer space, like as in going to the moon. Astronomical means that you have to use terms almost equivalent to outer space terms. And to me, this miracle was so astronomical that it's almost like it takes from here to outer space to figure it out. It was that huge. So first of all, he's walking on water. Second of all, he's feeding the 5,000. And third of all, he's healing the sick. You see, this is how we get restoration, restitution, retribution. This is how we get resolved. This is how we get recompense. This is how we get payback to the devil. You get up and you do what you're called to do. Now, let me tell you something. I could be the queen of hiding. I could be the queen of, of, of shrinking back. When I was a little girl, I never said two words. I just People made fun of me because they thought I had no ability to speak. Um, it, all jokes aside, I was tested in first grade, and they wanted to move me to sixth grade. Sixth grade, they wanted to move me through high school. And before I got out of high school, my mom would never let me do that. But before I got out of high school, I was still, um, I wasn't even in, in a senior in high school yet. They wanted me to be one of those experimental people that I would do um, four years of college and three years of law school, all compacted together in a fast track from the University of Michigan and figure out how they could take intelligence and speed it up in the process of learning. So I'm not stupid, but I was shy. And I was so shy that I couldn't speak. And when I tried to speak, words would not come out. So when I married Richard, someone that we had known said, no, it couldn't have been her. I've known her since she was a child. She has the inability to speak. And, and they were right. 
I was so shy that when R Richard first introduced me, the very first time he introduced me, he was on a platform on a stage. He let go of my hand. I ran off the stage. I got in the car, and I drove out of the state. I'm not <laughs> kidding. I, I, I was so upset. I told him, don't introduce me. I told him I didn't want to be seen, but no, would he listen to me? So, Mr. I'm so smart, I'll do it again, did it in the next city. And I had warned him and warned him and warned him. And so I was sitting, now I waited till he got on the platform and all the lights kind of went out to where the platform was. And I went out and I hid in the crowd. I never told him where I was because I did not want to be introduced. And so Richard did it again. And he said, bring up the spotlight. Bring up the house lights. Get me a spotlight. And he said, I see you all the way back there. That's my wife, Lindsay. Lindsay, honey, stand up. And I said, no. And he said, stand up. And I said, no. I said, don't say it one more time. He said, honey, put that spotlight on her. She's right there. And the woman next to me was about 100. <laughs> And she realized that I was the one he was talking to. And she got so excited, she jumped up. And she went, oh, my word. <laughs> and I sat there while this 100-year-old woman took all the glory. And I said, man, na 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 because that's not my personality. And so when I get into the Oral Roberts ministry and there is bashes on the left, bashes on the right, they put in the newspaper that I was 10 years older than I am. So I just, I'm 60. So that means I'm 70. And I think I'm looking pretty good for 70. But they took three years off of Richard's age, added 10 to mine. And so he <laughs> married this old granny. And so I thought, with this woman standing up, there you go, honey. <laughs> I told you so. So I'm that personality. So imagine that personality taking this kind of public heat and ridicule and this and that. So I just, what do I do? I shrink back. So we were talking to Dr. Jerry and Carolyn about this, and he was saying, here's how Jesus did. When he wanted to shrink back in his flesh, he gets on a ship. That's how bad he wanted to get away. And he sailed away, and they followed him. There is nobody quite like people to make you mad. There is nobody like Christians to make you even more mad. And when you try to figure it out, it's easy when someone is unsanctified and they act like the devil. But it will make you half nuts when someone who is a so-called Christian wants to bury you alive and rejoice at your death. So all of these things had happened, not only to my father-in-law, who was the king of, I will not strike back, and I'm the queen of, well, let me do it. <laughs> so when all of this is going on, here Jerry says, let's look at how Jesus does this. He hears about his friend, and he went forth. That means he didn't shrink back. He went forth. He went forth. He saw the multitude, and then he cut and run. No, he didn't. He went forth, he saw the mo multitude, and he allowed the nature of God, not the human side, which was there, but he allowed the nature of God to let him be moved with compassion, the irresistible urge to rid another person of their problem. He got out of himself. He got into God, and he said, how are we going to heal the sick? Now, let me tell you something. When you are going through the very devil himself, your first thought isn't, how can I help you? Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. When you've been through what you've been through, and that person walks in the room, what's your first thought? I'm glad there's no one else in the room but you and me. No witnesses. <laughs> but this is what Jesus was facing and he saw the multitude. He didn't even get to see one or two. He didn't even get to do it privately. He didn't even get to do it in the back room. He had to do it in front of God and everybody. He saw the multitude. He healed their sick. He walked on water. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And he fed their hungry. I sometimes am not in the mood to feed my enemies. I'm certainly not in the mood to pray for my enemies. And my first thought is, starve to death and let me watch. 
but that wasn't his humanness speaking. There's a time when my husband sees that I may maybe be going maybe in the wrong direction, maybe, and he'll say two words to me, and they are the sweetest words in spiritual language. He will look at me and he will say, down flesh. Down flesh. When my flesh wants to behave like flesh, my husband will not let me behave that way. The best friend you will ever have is the friend who will look you in the face and tell you down flesh and get out some spiritual duct tape and zip your lip shut until you can come up with something spiritual like heal the sick. The greatest way for retaliation in the Bible is to heal the sick or to get healed. Either be the one giving out the healing virtue of God or be the one receiving it. And sometimes it's both. I remember one time my father-in-law went in simple surgery in the hospital. He, in Oklahoma, there tends to be a lot of allergies and sinuses. And so they were going to try and open up a sinus passage and they couldn't stop the bleeding. <laughs> He's such a character. And they couldn't get the bleeding to stop. And one of the little nurses came and she said, which is it, your left or your right hand that you lay on people? He said, my right hand. She grabs his right hand. She slaps it on his face and she said, now say be healed in Jesus' name. So, he says be healed in Jesus' name and it stopped. Sometimes we just have to take our own hand and slap ourselves on our own face and say, self be healed in Jesus' name. How do you get retaliation? How do you get restitution? How do you get retribution? How do you get restored and get a resolve that this is not going to take you under? You heal the sick or you receive healing. You either do what Jesus did and pray for somebody else or you do what Jesus did and receive prayer for you. But it is a boomerang prayer, I guarantee it. A boomerang prayer is pray ye one for another that you may be healed. As you put out that healing virtue of God, I can see the very devil himself shaking, saying, what were they thinking? We're not thinking. We're out of our minds. We're out of our minds and into our spirits and doing what Jesus did when he did what he did to get himself healed. He operated in his own anointing. One of the greatest things people will rejoice at is when you stop operating at your gift. You can't stop singing. If you do, something in the heavenlies will stop shaking. Satan may say, ha ha, but that doesn't please God. So if you don't feel like it, it actually doesn't matter. It's not about how we feel. It's about what God called us to do. And so the best thing you can do to get yourself healed is to get over into your own anointing and do what God's called you to do. Is it hard? Yes! Is it doable? Yes. 3 John 2. Flip over to 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I want to read you something. This is the reason why I took Richard's Bible. And this was Oral's commentary on 3 John 2. This is the interesting scenario of John who has an awful lot to say and an awful lot to write. But in 3 John 2, in these three tender letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that the Apostle John wrote, it is as though he now is facing martyrdom and he's talking out loud to all of us as believers. You will remember how he wrote the Gospel of John, a great soaring book of Christ as the Lord and as the Word and as God made flesh. John, when he wrote it, there are different characteristics in the way the, the Gospels are written. And in the book of John, it's as though John is trying to do it so personal. He's trying to show you the Jesus side of Jesus, the human side, the miraculous side, but the personality of Jesus. And he writes it as though we can relate to Jesus as a friend and a brother. It's very sweet the way he writes it. Now when he's about to go, and he's about to be martyred, and he knows that, he has one more crack at letting people see, I want you to see one more time how God feels about you personally. And so he says this, more than any other writer of the Gospels, John reveals to the word who and what Jesus is. And if you will recall, John wrote the book of Revelation in the last book of our New Testament in which he gives, this is Oral Roberts speaking, by the way, in which he gives mighty and mysterious symbols that sweep the drama of the end time in which our Lord Jesus Christ comes back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. 
In between the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, John the Apostle gives us some final of the finest practical advice of teaching of all. This is what I want you to hear. Practical teaching. In John 1, he bears personal witness to Christ that he had personally seen, heard, touched, even the word of life. And he writes to us so that we may know that Jesus in the way that our joy may be full. His favorite term addressing it is, my little children. Then in Second John, he calls himself the elder to the elect, the children of God, whom he loves in truth. But then in Third John, and this is what I want you to know, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper, have a successful journey along the road of life. Are you part of that prosperity camp? Successful journey along the road of life. Well, what would I rather be, part of the failure camp? Are you part of that healing camp? Uh, no, I choose to be part of sickness and disease camp. What are you thinking? So he says this in 3 John 2. He's writing to his beloved friend in the gospel, Gaius, and he represents you and me as believers. 3 John 2 only has one little chapter, but it's so full of good things. To me, this little book is important out of all the proportion to its size because of verse 2. And he said, in 1947, it became the final word that was brought to me to start my ministry and taking God's healing power to my generation. When I found the comedy of that, I'll, I'll back up. 1947, Oral was in um, traditional Bible school. He was working several jobs. He was not seeing any results. Um, many of them didn't believe in praying in tongues or healing the sick. And he was pastoring a small church. Uh, it held about 75, but there was probably about 10. And so he was preaching to them about the Bible. And in his tradition, he'd run out of the house to go catch the bus because they were too poor to have a car. And he'd go out to catch the bus, and he'd flip open the Bible, read a few verses, and then run out and catch the bus. Well, he realized he hadn't read the Bible. So he ran back in the house, and he flips open the Bible to 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper. And he read it again, and he read it again, and he said, Evelyn, listen to this. Now he's reading it out of the Bible. And she said, is that in the Bible? And he said, I'm reading it out of the Bible. She said, Evelyn, we have a terrible problem. This Bible says that we're to prosper. My whole doctrine is that we're to be poor and humble to, keep, to serve God. If we'll be humble, the church will keep us poor, and then we can serve God. And he said, I have a terrible problem because my pastor believes in the poverty gospel that we are to be poor, and I'm the pastor. He said, now what do I do with the information? He, he couldn't go to school that day. He had to sit down and read it and reread it and read it and reread it and tear apart the Bible that his whole theology was a gospel of poverty and he reads this verse that says it's a gospel of prosperity. And he had to come to grips in 1947 on that day that the Bible said it was what it was. So in verse 2, 1947 became the final word of God that brought me to start my ministry of taking God's healing power to my generation. When I finally came to this verse, it was like water for my thirsty soul, and it opened me up to God's wish, above all wishes, and today I have loved that verse ever since. Beloved, now I don't know about you, but when you have gone through the gates of the devil himself, and you feel like that you have been beaten, maligned, lied, stolen, and that was just for breakfast, <laughs> beloved is like pouring the balm of Gilead on your wounded soul. Now, that doesn't always happen, unless, of course, you have friends like Jerry and Carolyn. But that doesn't really always happen. And so Satan's trick is isolation. Yeah. Take me out to the desert. Let me be by myself so I can rehearse my devastation. And isolation and devastation leads to one thing, and that's destruction. Mm -hmm. And you don't call someone who you used to call, and you don't go places you used to go. And I am well acquainted with that. I was that way as a child. I was that way as a teenager. I was that way in my 20s and 30s. I would always stand behind my husband, not stand behind my husband, but hide behind my husband. Why? Because I liked it there. I remember one time we had a Christmas party. My husband talked me into a Christmas party. What in the wide world was he thinking? So I have a Christmas party at my house. No escape, so he thought. I spent the whole day making everything look perfect. And I spent the whole night upstairs in my bathroom throwing up, and I never showed my face once. I was so nervous. When I first went on television, Richard made me be on television. When I first went on television, we had a live program. It was so bad. 
They used to tease me and do pranks to make me laugh to loosen me up so I could do television. Because I would sit and smile at everybody, hello, good morning, and then we'd go to commercial and I had a bucket beside me and I'd vomit all through the commercial. And then I'd come back, how about that, let's pray. And I'm throwing up and the smell of vomit's all over. So they used to do pranks to make me laugh. And one of the first pranks they did was to take, you know, those little toy spiders and when they squeeze the thing that spider, well, I hate spiders. They're not my friends. And so they put this spider beside me and as it's crawling on my shoulder, I'm on live TV, how y'all doing? This is terrible. I think I'm going to die right here in front of God and everybody. And then they poofed the button and the spider jumped on me. Ah! And I'm sitting there like that. On live television. So I thought, I'm going to get even with these people. And the very guy that did it hates snakes. So we put a live boa constrictor in his piano. Oh, well, I'm not kidding. And we told him, oh, open your piano. On camera. Open your piano bench. Richard left his music inside. Boa constrictor jumps out. So I thought we had him. So their retaliation back to me was, I like to drink coffee in the morning. So they super glued the bottom of my coffee cup to the sofa I was sitting on. And I'm sitting there going. <laughs> and when it finally came up, I thought, I'll outsmart them. It, it went everywhere, but I said, I'm outsmart them. How can you have so many brains and be this dumb? I said, I'm going to outsmart them. I'm not going to put it back on the sofa. I'm going to put it on my leg. I super glued that burning hot cup of coffee to my leg. And I sat there like this, how y'all doing? I'm like burning up here. <laughs> Any of you know Clay Evans, Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church in, in Chicago? Comes on our program live television, points his finger at me live. We have like, I don't know, 45 minutes left in the program. And he said, you're going to go into labor and you're going to have that baby right now. I wouldn't do yet. It was St. Patrick's Day. I was doing the 20s. The, what is it? March. It was March 17. I was doing the March 20s. And I always went about three weeks late anyway. So I'm like, what? And he pointed at me. He began to prophesy. And I went into labor. Oh. And I'm sitting there on the sofa going, <gasps> 45 minutes left of live television. And I am in labor looking at my husband. He said, are you OK? One more word out of you, buddy. <laughs> And so Clay is up singing, Richard's up preaching, and I am in labor on live television. I am not necessarily the most perfect at protocol when it comes to stuff. It's not my cup of tea. I've had to do it for 37 years, and it just isn't my cup of tea. But the best way to combat the devil is to get out of your cup of tea. Yeah. I remember in all of that, while I was pregnant, I got the feeling that I was worthless and unnecessary on television. And I had kind of come out of a gospel of worthlessness and unnecessary and a lot of background that I was in. And, and, and I always loved the Lord. I always went to church. But sometimes environment can do a lot to the way you think and grow up. And, and so I was sitting there thinking, Richard does this so good. His dad's on the program. Blah, 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 blah. And so in the middle of it, I, I told my husband, and I was like 160 months pregnant. And, and I, <laughs> one day my, my doctor said, you are not going to deliver. You're going to explode. <laughs> so I like to indulge in chocolate when I was pregnant. What business is it of that guy? <laughs> So I'm sitting there thinking, this is just not the way to be on live television. So I told Richard, I'm not coming in. I'm done. I like quit. And so about 10 minutes before 9 on live TV, the Lord said, get up, get dressed, and get down there, and I'll tell you what to do. So Richard is singing away, and he looked at me like, what are you doing? Because I'd quit like a half an hour earlier. <laughs> Never listen to a pregnant woman when she's like, you know. So anyway, I, I said, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm here. And the Lord began to speak to me, and he said, go over there and pick up the phone from the Abundant Life Prayer Group and tell people on television that if you were about to commit suicide, don't commit suicide, pick up the phone and call. Sixteen people that day called wow. in live, and it was in, in about a 40-minute time frame. And I walked off the, off the studio, and I, I started to get in my car. And the Lord said, you feel good about that 16? And I said, well, yes, I do. He said, if you hadn't done what I called you to do, no matter what you feel like, he said, I'd held you accountable for all 16. Wow. I grew up that day. Amen. 
and I realized it isn't all about me. The best way that you can beat the devil at his own game is to get up and do what you're called to do. Get up, suck it up, and do what you're called to do. And you may have to be praying for somebody else. You may have to have somebody else pray for you. I have Richard. I had Oral. Thank you, Jesus. But there comes a day when you may have to take your own hand and put it on your own self and say, Self, be healed in Jesus' name. And that is how we receive retribution, retaliation, restitution, and most of all, resolve. And the only way I know to beat the devil himself at his own game is to get up and do what you're called to do. Now, I have no idea what you've been through. I have a lot of idea what I've been through. And it started when I was a child, and I'm 60 years old. I'm about to turn 61, and it still feels like Satan is still going to be Satan. Surprise, surprise. He's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, don't panic. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And in order to jump off of column A and get back into column B, you cannot have both. By faith, through faith, in faith. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You do not, this is going to be harsh, you do not diligently seek God by whining, griping, and complaining. I've tried it over and over. I'm an expert at it. It doesn't work. However, I found out through my dear friend Marilyn Hickey that there are two words, cry, in the Bible. There is cry. I wrote a book called Cry for Miracles. There are two kinds of cry. One is, <coughs> I was a pro. And there's another one, and it's the same word, C-R-Y, and it means battle cry. And I was so busy going, <coughs> Satan was using battle cry, and I was boo-hooing. And I thought, this is wrong. Jesus did not go to the cross for me to boo-hoo and Satan to battle cry. Now, here's the thing about me. I don't always get it, but when I get it, I get it. And I have a tendency to act on it. You see, faith without works is dead. Faith without corresponding action is your dead faith. But when you get up and you become dangerous to the devil, you do it by doing what God told you to do. Is it hard? Yes. Is it struggle? Yes. Is it embarrassing? Yes. Do you puke sometimes? Yes! I was an expert at wiping my mouth and looking fine. Meanwhile, the bucket's next to me. You have to do what you have to do in spite of what the devil tells you. You have to make a decision. What did God tell me? And I remember being so shy and so introverted. The Lord spoke to me one time. And when I say shy, I couldn't say two words. I couldn't put two sentences together. I went to law school to be a tax attorney because books and numbers don't talk back. I'm not kidding. I was that introverted. And I remember the Lord saying to me, you're very, very shy. And I said, yeah, you get it, you get me. He said, you're tampering with being on the edge of disobedience. He said, you are allowing shyness to cross over into disobedience. Oh, man, that hit me hard. So what is it you're disobedient in? Kind of took a dive bomb right there, didn't it? Just took a note. She was fine when she was puking in a bucket, but now she's getting personal. What are you disobedient in? What do you know that if you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that you could get up and suck it up and go do what you're called to do, what would it be? What would it be that in the depths of your soul, you know, I'm supposed to be doing that. And you know, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Or what are you hiding from? And what are you not willing to run to? Those are tough questions. I ask myself them on a regular basis. Believe me, Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He has been defeated, but not destroyed. And when Jesus defeated him, but not destroyed him, we can bring him back up again by the words of our mouth, by our faith, by this, by that. And I am so sick of giving the devil CPR. Meanwhile, the devil's trying to kill me. Stop giving the devil CPR. So what is it? Would you rather close your eyes and not look at me when I say this? Because it's okay. What is it that you're disobedient in? Think about it. If you could know that you know that you know that the devil is no object, money is no object, failure is not involved, what would you be doing that you know is obedient to the word of God that you're not doing now? So, on that happy note... 
Let's go for restoration, restitution, retaliation, and resolve in this thing. Father, in the name of Jesus. Now, these are going to be tough ones. Here's what you're going to say. I repent. I'm sorry. I am sorry for letting the stuff of the world and the circumstances of the world keep me from what you've called me to do. Now, I pray for you right now from the very crown of your head to the soles of your feet. You may be so crushed inside you think, I cannot do this. Been there. I've been there physically. I've been there spiritually. I've been there emotionally. I've been there when I would sit in my bed and shake so hard that I would fall out of bed and my husband would pick me up and put me back in the bed and hold me down because I was so hurt and so devastated. It hurts to get hurt. If you hurt your thumb, it hurts just as much if you hurt your pinky toe. It hurts to get hurt. And many times, the very thing that you think you can hide under a rug, Satan says, surprise, honey. I'm going to bring the multitudes to see what you're made of. It hurt me when my son died. The newspapers gave him no mother. My name was never mentioned. They said, Oral Roberts has a grandson. Richard Roberts has a son. They're in the healing ministry. The boy dies. They must be a fake. The end. I had a kid. I have a name. Nothing. I have this baby that I believe God for since I was 18 years old. And I have a name. So what did it do? It set me back. You know that funny saying, your setback can be your comeback. You know what I want to say to that? Oh, shut up. (laughs) But there's truth to it. Your setback really can be your comeback, and it can bounce you further. I heard Gloria Copeland say one day, I tell you, this was, this was the one thing. I know it's crazy, but it's one thing that set me free. She said years ago, remember you take a little a, a ball, and you bounce it, and it only goes so high? But she said, if you take that ball, and you hold it under pressure, underwater, and you let it go, it bounces higher than it could have ever done on its own. So it's that time of pressure wow. that can be your comeback. Right. Don't look ugly at me. Your setback doesn't have to be your setback. All it can be is a springboard to whatever God has called you to do. And the way you retaliate against evil is you just go heal the sick. You just go get healed. You just go do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And when you do, I promise you, it will feel better than any retaliation you have ever felt in your life. You retaliate against the devil. I maybe have thought about retaliating against people. Thoughts cross my mind. But I also have to feel like once I do that, how will I feel after? You can't do that. You do what God's called you to do. So stand up if you need prayer. If something has devastated you, if someone has devastated you, if your physical body is devastating you, maybe it's a physical sickness. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper. That means a successful journey along the road of life. Being health means a constant, continuous state of well-being. Are you in a constant, continuous state of well-being? Even as your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions prosper. God wants you to prosper financially, spiritually, physically, in your emotions, in your brain, in your thinking, in your thought processing, in every area of your life. Now, ladies, table ladies, we had a good meal, and we have had pretty decorations, and we have had a great host, hostesses. But now let's get down to the good stuff. It's all been good. It's all been good. Let's do the icing on the proverbial cupcake. Table mates, Swarm around those ladies. These are your sisters in Christ Jesus. These are your family members. These are Mary to Elizabeth, Jesus to John the Baptist. These are your table mates. These are your family. And let me tell you something. If my family's hurting, I'm going after it. So in the name of Jesus, I'm going to send the word to each table. I send the word right here in the name of Jesus for you to be healed according to the word and the will of God. I send the word to this table right now for you to be healed and whole against, uh, according to the word of God. I send the word to this table for you to be healed and whole according to the word of God. Now that table right there, I send the word to you to be healed and whole according to the word of God. That back table, I send the word to you to be healed and whole according to the word of God. Over here, I send the word to you to be healed and whole according to the word of God. They shall lay hands 
hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's the word of God. I send the word to this table right here for you to be healed and whole according to the word and the will of God. Table behind it. Right there, you be healed and whole according to the word and the will of God. Back table. Hey, you be healed according to the word of God. Table over here. Ha, 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 devil. They're getting healed and whole according to the word of God. Back table in the corner. That table in the corner. I send the word to you to be healed and whole according to the word and the will of God. Table right here. Oh, you lovely group of ladies. Now become tenacious warriors for healing and wholeness according to the word of God. I pray for you from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet for God to minister healing to you in every area of your life. I pray for wholeness and healing and wellness to come into you right now in every area of your life in Jesus' name. I pray for this group right here. I pray for you to be healed, be healed, be healed. This table, hey, be healed in Jesus' name. Now for the table behind it, get healed right now. It's your time, it's your time to be healed in Jesus' name. I speak to the table behind you. Ha, 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 devil. Be healed in Jesus' name. Table of righteous, virtuous women in Jesus' name. I speak to this table right here. Hi, table right here. I pray for you to be healed in every area of your life, spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. Devil, you take your hands off God's property. Look at this lovely table of beautiful ladies and candy canes. Lord, I pray for this table for healing and wholeness. We send the word in Jesus' name. Oh, for this pretty table. Oh, we deck these halls. Thank God for it. But more than that, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing the sick. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing healing to the sick. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing healing to the sick. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing healing to the sick. Thank you, Jesus. Look at this pretty Christmas tree and nutcracker. And Lord, I know you're just smiling and laughing. And now let's laugh at the devil. In the name of Jesus, we pray for sickness and disease and torment and worry and fear and poverty and finances to go in Jesus' name. And Lord, we look at this beautiful table and we look at all of that, that cute little elf on the shelf. And now, Lord, after we look at elf on the shelf, we look at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing healing, 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 healing. Look at these tables back here, Lord. Look at that beautiful snowman and hat. In the name of Jesus, Lord, now I ask for the reign of the Holy Spirit to fall down on this table and the one in the back and this table here and this table here. Rain down on us, Lord. Shine down on us, Lord. Rain down on us. Shine down on us to minister healing and wholeness. 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 Now I want y'all to listen to me and just say something real simple. Don't, don't break the atmosphere of prayer, but say these three words. You know, Christmas is ho, ho, ho. I love it, but I want you to say it just a little different. Say ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 devil. Ha, 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 devil. Today is a day of retaliation. I've had it up to here and now it's payback time. And payback is healing. Payback is healing. Payback is healing in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.